Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments, and get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure, or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Be advised, this episode was recorded on January 15th, 2021. The figures referenced in this discussion are changing daily and may not be current at the time of your listening. Visit baptisthealth.com slash vaccine for the latest news and updates. So we'll jump right in. Dr. Clossing, the last seven days have been turbulent to say the least, but there is hope. On January 7th, there was just shy of 5,000 new cases in the Commonwealth. With a rollout plan of vaccination beginning to take shape for the general public, have we reached the apex or are we still climbing? We're still climbing. Uh, We haven't hit our apex yet. I think that what we're seeing right now is that there is a surge, unfortunately, of new cases that are likely due to people gathering around the holidays, congregating and uh, spraying it to different family members and loved ones. We know that after an exposure, it can take one to two weeks for people to start to show symptoms and become ill and lead to hospitalization. So I've seen several people in the hospital that have been exposed over the holidays. And unfortunately, that's still going to continue for a while. We're gonna, it's going to take us some time to get past the holiday season. So right now, we're still climbing. We're still having high numbers of cases throughout Kentucky. Uh, and especially in the South Kentucky uh, and Eastern Kentucky seems particularly hard-headed this uh, surge. Well, welcome back to another episode of Health Talks Now, a podcast brought to you by Baptist Health. I can't believe this is the first show of 2021. That's right. And while COVID-19 is still dominating headlines and dictating daily life across the country, we've entered into a year that we expect to be filled with more hope. We're all counting on changes to resume some normalcy, or I guess I should say a return to a new normal. And today we're joined on the phone with physician Benjamin Clossing. Dr. Clossing is a Louisville-based expert in the field of infectious disease. Thank you for joining us for this timely conversation today, Dr. Clossing. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So the first thing we want to ask, we saw a photograph of you receiving your vaccine. Was that the first or the second dose? That was my first dose of the vaccine. Great. Which one did you receive? I received the Pfizer vaccine. Can you share your experience with us? And did you have any reservations or hesitation? Sure. I, and, you know, for those who've seen the picture, you could, you could probably see my smile underneath the mask. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> it was a great day. Uh, and quite the opposite. I did not have any reservations or hesitation. And I had excitement and was uh, clamoring for the vaccine. I understand that people are hesitant about the vaccine. But for me, being in medicine, I was able to review all the data from the FDA. I had a lot of confidence within the FDA. It's the most rigorous regulatory body in the world. The experts that make up the panel that advise the FDA are some of the smartest and brightest minds throughout the country, and they wholeheartedly endorse both of the vaccines. So I didn't have reservations or hesitations. And in fact, it's a shot of hope, mm-hmm. a shot of hope and a way and a path forward to get out of the current pandemic. Sure. 
Well, just a personal note, I was there when Dr. Um, Anna Hart, your partner, received her vaccine uh, the day that Louisville received the, the shipment. And I felt the emotion. I felt the weight of that moment and how important it was. So it's different now that you've received the vaccine. You have firsthand knowledge because for months you've been treating patients directly affected. So for our listeners, as you mentioned, you understand that they may have the hesitation. What advice or reassurance can you give them in choosing to get one of these vaccines that that's a better option for them and their family versus taking the chances that they that they won't contract this COVID-19 disease? I understand that people may not have wanted to volunteer to take the COVID vaccines, especially in the clinical trials when we're still trying to prove the efficacy of them. Now that over 7 million Americans have already received COVID vaccines, either the Moderna vaccine or the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, we have a lot of data that suggests that it's very safe. We know that it's effective based on its prior clinical trials. It's true that COVID-19 for most people is a mild illness. About 40% of the people have no symptoms whatsoever. That being said, I think we've kind of had this false dichotomy and the way we calculate COVID cases. You're either considered a death, which of course is the worst outcome you can have, or you're a success. And in fact, a lot of people with COVID-19, even though they don't die from it, still have long-term effects from it. They have scarring on the lungs. They require continued oxygen. They have cardiac issues. Um, People can feel quite terrible and lousy uh, for months and months after it. It can take a healthy adult that's vigorous, exercises well, and can land them in bed for hours upon hours a day, and even the simplest task can fatigue them. Those are the so-called COVID long haulers. So it's not an infection that you just want to take your chances with. Mm-hmm. No one can predict who's going to get ill from it with any type of scientific precision. So I think at the end of the day, why would you want to get a disease you can prevent? Are we seeing those same long-term effects on the asymptomatic folks? In terms of having like having the lung scarring, the, yeah. It's not as prominent with people that have long-term symptoms. Uh, or, or excuse me, they're asymptomatic. It can be people that have very mild symptoms can have very long-term symptoms still. So just because you escaped having to come into the hospital doesn't mean that you're not going to have long-term effects from COVID-19. Well, let's talk timelines. I think that's the question at the top of many people's list right now. So let's start with immunity. What do we know right now about how long immunity from these vaccines is expected to last? Well, we'll see. We don't know quite yet. I think that there's great hope that they seem to generate pretty long-lasting immunity. But we have to be honest with ourselves that we don't, these vaccines haven't been out for years and years and years, so we don't know if they work for years and years and years. Yeah. I think that uh, Moderna has come out with some new statements that they expect that at least for a couple of years that they're going to have their generate lasting immunity. Okay. All the preliminary studies seem to suggest that it's at least months, probably years. Okay. So we'll see how long it's expected to last, but hopefully it's long enough to get us through kind of the pandemic phase and get a get a handle on the outbreaks. Well, talk to us then about herd immunity. This is a term that I think a lot of people are just becoming familiar with. So what is it and why is it important that we achieve it? And when do you think we will? Herd immunity is a scientific concept whereby there are enough people in the population that are immune to 
community, then the virus cannot readily spread through the community because it bumps into a lot of people that are immune from it and it dies because it cannot find a host. Viruses require a human being to persist and live and replicate. So without without a host, it can't replicate. Okay. So how do we achieve it? Well, there's, there's two ways. One is everybody gets infected with it and generates immunity. Right. Or the second way is that everybody gets vaccinated or some combination of it. Right. What threshold of population needs to be immune to COVID to prevent its rapid spread is somewhat controversial and unknown. Probably somewhere between 70% are, are up are the current estimates. Okay. When will we get there? Well, I think it's completely dependent on how quickly we can get the vaccine out to the community sure. and how willing the general public is to take the vaccine. That's going to be the variable yeah. that determines herd immunity. Yeah. So the question I'm sure you field every day when can people expect to get their vaccine? We know that Kentucky is operating in a tiered approach to vaccinate the most vulnerable first and frontline workers. What's your prediction of how this is going, how this will go, and how far vaccinations to opening them up to the general public? It's going okay. It's not as quickly as anybody would have hoped to get the vaccine going. When you're trying to vaccinate 300 million people as quickly as possible, there's going to be some hiccups. Mm-hmm. Both the Pfizer and the Pfizer and Moderna vaccination have uh, particular challenges because they require sub-zero temperatures to store them at and ship them at, which can logistically be difficult. It's starting to pick up pace and we welcome that. Both of these vaccines are two-shot vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Right? So you need a shot uh, at day one and then three weeks later for the Pfizer vaccine and four weeks later for the Moderna vaccine. What the government had been doing is saying, everybody that gets the first shot, we're gonna hold in reserve the second shot for that person Okay. until they're ready for it. So uh, a lot of states and municipalities were sitting on giant reserves of vaccines anticipating second shot, yeah. the booster shots. That is starting to be reversed and people are now saying that they're going to go ahead and release all the vaccines they have available. And the reason they're doing that is because the production of these vaccines has been much more streamlined. Okay. So. The tiered approach to the, to vaccinate, it makes sense. Uh, you want to vaccinate those that are most susceptible to it, most prone to get it, most, have most contact with COVID-19 and have highest chances of a bad outcome if they're going to get it. Yeah. When are vaccines going to open up to the general public? I'm still optimistic that we're going to get this figured out. I think it's going to get, the pace is going to pick up. Okay. The administration, uh, will change here within the federal government on January 20th. And I think we'll see some more guidance from the federal government as to how to to do this. Also, I think we anticipate that there's probably going to be new vaccines that come onto the market, which will help speed the process of vaccinating the general public. Yeah, I think that makes sense. We know, talk to us a little bit about, speaking of the new, newer vaccines that are yet to come onto the market, we know that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a one-shot series as opposed to uh, the Pfizer and Moderna being a two-shot. Can you explain why that the difference and how they work differently from each other? Right, so the Pfizer vaccine, 
vaccine and the Moderna vaccines are what we call mRNA vaccine, mm-hmm. which stands for messenger RNA. The way that those vaccines work is that you get injected with this little bit of genetic code that goes into the body and it tells the body to produce a particular part of the coronavirus. It's called the spike protein. So your body's cellular mechanism produces this spike protein and then your body forms an immune response to that spike protein. Now the great news is you can't get sick just from the spike protein itself. So therefore you get all the immunity with no of the bad stuff that you might get with COVID-19. That's how the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines work. Mm -hmm. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine is a one-shot vaccine, as you know, and we anticipate that those will generate some approval here in the next month or two, hopefully, depending on the results. We haven't had formal results from it. They work a little bit differently. They use another part of a virus called an adenovirus to uh, deliver this spike protein into the cells, and then those cells generate the immune response. So it's a little bit of a different mechanism, uh, but it's one that we're used to with other vaccines, so it should be promising. So hopefully the more vaccines that come on the market, the better. We welcome all vaccines that we can get, and uh, we're going to need as much help as we can to get uh, the vaccines to the market. So to that point, to clarify, I think some people are, there's still some myths circulating out there and some concern that, you know, I'm going to get COVID from this vaccine or, but that's just not, that's not the case because like you said, you're, you're not injecting a, a live portion of the virus or um, even a dormant portion of the virus. You're actually just inducing the immune response. So the, the symptoms that people may experience post-vaccination are not truly symptoms of COVID-19. They're just the immune response that your body's generating to that spike protein. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, exa- okay. that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You cannot get COVID from any of the approved COVID vaccines. It's mm-hmm. just impossible. When do you think we'll be well enough established in our process? as a country that will be able to receive the COVID-19 vaccine either at a physician's office or at a pharmacy, similar to a flu shot? I think we're still several months away from getting to that. I think we're gonna see these regional centers that are gonna be the vaccine center for a particular county or a particular area, and they're just gonna do a lot of the heavy lifting. The uh, Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, as I mentioned above, are tricky vaccines to handle. They have to be kept at particular, particularly cold temperatures, and your average pharmacy and your mom-and-pop shop just doesn't have those type of requirements. So it may be possible that later down the road that that'll get tweaked some and you can get into the refrigerator. But I think that for right now, because the vaccines are still precious and because they're still trying to vaccinate, people on this kind of tiered approach that we're going to be seeing them given at kind of dedicated vaccine centers rather than pharmacies or physicians' offices. Could change. No one's asking me from the federal government or the state government how to do it. Why not? I'm not privy to it, but uh, I suspect and speculate that we're uh, still a few months away from that. That makes good sense, I think. But could you explain a little bit, is it because of the delicacy of the mRNA that they have to be kept at such a cold temperature? 
Yeah, it's the delicacy of the MRSA, and it's also the, the MRS, if you just injected straight mRNA into somebody's body, it would just degrade instantaneously. It would, it would, it would not make its way to the cell to generate this immunity that you need. So what they've done is they've coated this mRNA in a protective envelope called a lipid nanoparticle. Sounds fancy. It's just a microscopic fat droplet, and that allows it to kind of get shepherded into the cell. That lipid nanoparticle is particularly fragile as well. Okay. So that's where a lot of these requirements come for these sub-zero temperatures. Oh, now they can tweak that, hopefully they will uh, be able to tweak that to, to get more stability. The Moderna's is a little more stable at just your refrigeration temperatures than the Pfizer one, and that's because they have slight differences in these lipid nanoparticles, okay. these uh, microscopic fat droplets. Well, that makes sense. So do you need to get vaccinated if you've already had COVID-19 or would you already have the immunity required? So COVID-19 induces some immunity for how long after you become infected or you immune is still kind of an open question. It's probably at least three months. Okay. We know that some vaccines provide better immunity than the infection. So kind of the yeah. classic example of this is the tetanus vaccine. Yeah. If you were to get tetanus, your body does not generate a very long lasting immunity to it. You may not have immunity to tetanus, but the vaccine produces a stronger immunity than the natural infection. So in the case of COVID-19, it's likely, although it's still preliminary, that the vaccines will probably produce a more durable immunity than a natural infection. Well, let's switch gears. I'd love to understand more about the new mutant strain, B117. First, were you surprised by this development? And what do we need to know? So I, th I think back up and say, what, what are these strains? And I think if you think of COVID-19 as a, it's a coro coronavirus, mm -hmm. uh, which is Latin for crown. So if you were to look under the microscope at the virus itself, it would be kind of roughly shaped like a crown that you would put on a king's head. Mm -hmm. Now, take that crown, and let's say you want to make a replica of it, and you are going to build it out of Legos. And you're going to take thousands and thousands of Legos to build this. What these mutations happening, and say you're using just all green Legos, mm -hmm. what this mutation is doing is that it's saying, well, we're going to take one of those green Legos away, and we're going to replace it with a slightly different Lego, maybe a yellow Lego, mm -hmm. or maybe just a slightly different shape of a Lego. That happens naturally. These viruses, they're kind of dumb. All they know how to do is infect people and make them sick, but they're not intelligent beings. Right. So when they reproduce, they make errors and they reproduce. So about every two weeks, we see one of those Legos get switched out. Okay. Most of them are harmless. Who cares? Yeah, Who right. cares if you have a green or, green or yellow one? Sure. What happens with particular ones is that if it changes the shape of the virus sufficiently enough, the concern is that it might attach itself to the body more easily, and once it attaches itself to the body, it might become, in layman's term, it might become stickier. And once it becomes stickier to the body, mm -hmm. then it can affect people more easily and spread more easily. So that's what we're concerned about with these new mutant strains, both the one in South Africa and the one in the UK. Yeah. Is it more contagious? Likely it's more contagious. Are we seeing a surge of cases with this new strand here in the region? That has been proven. It's uh -huh. speculative. 
right now the CDC is kind of doing more active surveillance to try to do these deep type of genetic analysis to see exactly what type of uh, variants are here. And it hasn't been identified, to my knowledge, here in Kentucky, but it will be. It's right. going to come here at some point in Kentucky. So, right. uh, so it's not surprising that this is developed, and I think it just recommits ourselves, and we should rededicate ourselves to trying to do everything we can to avoid areas where we can get exposed to COVID. So it's not necessarily that this is a more deadly or dangerous or severe strain. It's just more likely that it could, if you come into contact with it, it could infect you. Yes, that's what I read. Yeah, that's basically the right. It doesn't cause more significant disease, Uh uh, which is a good thing. Right. But if you infect, if the old COVID infected 100 people and killed one of them, and this one infects 200 people, well, you're still, even if it only kills 1% of those people, that's still two people yeah. die compared to the other one. So sure. it has the potential to kill more people and cause more illness, even right. though it doesn't by itself. It's not more lethal. Got it. Um, the good news is our testing is still the same. It's going to pick up on these variants. It's not a problem. And the even better news is that the vaccines are still going to be potent and neutralized against acquisition of this disease as well. So the vaccines are still going to work against both these strains. So how do you think this pandemic is going to change the way that we view emerging infectious diseases in the future and emerging vaccines? Uh, That's a great question. I think the public has has become a crash course in infectious disease, Mm -hmm. and uh, they've all become somewhat experts in infectious diseases and epidemiology. (laughs) So I think that we're, we're much more attuned to how pathogens spread and how they can infect and what we can do to avoid infections. Fortunately, it seems like so far this year that the flu has been basically non-existent. I think that goes a long way to speaking to we're not traveling as much and we're not having kind of as much exposures and close contacts with other people. So I think that that'll be helpful. The mRNA vaccine technology that has been developed is very promising. I mean, that has just a host of potential therapeutic options for a number of illnesses, even outside of infectious diseases. So um, we'll see how much promise that it ends up having at the end of the day, but it's certainly a significant scientific accomplishment. I think that we understand, too, that we're all in this together, right? COVID's going to affect the poor and the rich and the weak and the strong and everybody in between, and it doesn't necessarily care. So... um, it's a particularly uh, pernicious virus, and I think we just have to, at the end of the day, there'll be a lot of requiems written and postmortems to decide what went wrong, what went well. And I think you'll probably see more preparedness from the different governments and better funding for public health, which has not been a funding priority for most of our governments around the country. What has this been like for you as an infectious disease physician? I mean, this has obviously impacted everyone, as you mentioned, but I mean, this plays directly to your wheelhouse and your expertise, and you've been literally on the front line of this. I mean, I was wondering that as well. What keeps you up? Do you cringe at the sight of the crowd gathering in Tuscaloosa celebrating Alabama's (laughs) national championship? Or like, what keeps you up at this point, like Kendra mentioned? Uh, it, 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 nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think, um, as people have said, 
getting the vaccines in place were scientific marvels. You, mm-hmm. you, you talk about terrific scientific accomplishments in the last mm-hmm. century or so. You talk about the moon landing in 69. You talk about the development of the Manhattan Project. There's certainly been great medical achievements. And this one's going to rank right up there with the vaccine. So mm-hmm. that's really been great. But we've done the low-tech things not so well. We've done the high-tech things great, the low-tech things not so well. Right. And that's disappointing, but it, I think it speaks to how we are as a, as a social being. Mm-hmm. My memories of this are really back to the spring. And I got into infectious diseases as uh, somebody that enjoyed uh, doing two things. One was diagnosing patients. You kind of have some of these mystery illnesses mm-hmm. that you could detect. And also, I enjoyed seeing people get better. And fortunately, in infectious diseases, uh, you can take antibiotics for a week or so, and then you're, you're back on your feet and you're doing pretty well. So that's always been rewarding and a great part of the job. COVID was particularly cruel. Yeah. The diagnosis was basically never in doubt. You could always pretty much tell who had COVID, mm-hmm. especially if we got our testing ramped up. And our therapies have just not been good. So we, we tried about every therapy we could try under the sun. We would cling to these little glimmers of hope for these therapies, and they just didn't work. And to see patient after patient after patient die was really, really cooling. So uh, I've welcomed the vaccine. I've welcomed some improvements in our therapeutics. At the end of the day, man and machine can only do so much. But even in the last moments of death, uh, you know, it still can be rewarding to gather family together and uh, let people say their last goodbyes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the patients, uh, especially early on in COVID, were uh, denied that opportunity just because how contagious the virus is. They couldn't have their family in there. So it was a tough few months. Things are uh, much better in terms of our therapeutics and stuff, even if we are still having uh, record cases. Yeah. It's been a learning curve. I mean, for sure. I can imagine that it's going to change the landscape of of your field going forward forever. There will be kind of a, almost like a, uh, like a 9-11 kind of feel, like there was a before and now there's an after, and it's a marker in time, you know. Yeah, I don't think, you know, people say we want to return to normal, and I don't think we'll ever return to what normal was in, you know, late 2019. Uh, But we'll return to some type of new normal, and hopefully it's for the better. What do you think that new normal looks like? I think from a medical aspect of it, you're going to see a heightened attention to infection control and uh, public health mm-hmm. uh, from an economic standpoint, from a, I don't know how many people are going to go back to brick and mortar offices or right. you can still see these people or people are going to do more from work from home. So right. these things will get settled out over the next month to years and, and we'll be able to see how things go. I, I have not had the best predictive capabilities throughout this. Uh, I did not expect that uh, when you first heard about coronavirus and uh, Wuhan in December 2019, that it would be filling our hospitals yeah. and we would be having record cases in January 2021 here in Kentucky. But right. here we are. Right. Any final takeaways? Well, I just appreciate the public uh, doing everything they can. It can sometimes seem uh, mundane to and difficult to do the right things, uh, but uh, Kentucky, as compared to our neighboring states, has done remarkably well yes. with COVID. So uh, that's a testament to 
the efforts by the rank and file uh, citizens of the Commonwealth, and I would just encourage people to to keep keep up that strong effort. It really does make a difference. And when it's your turn to get the vaccine, roll up your sleeve, and uh, let's all do our part to help end end this pandemic. Sure. And in the meantime, keep your mask on. <laughs> That's all right. Sure. Well, thanks for making time for us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I took away a lot of hope from that conversation. Yes. I mean, we're still in the thick of this pandemic, as he mentioned. We're still, we haven't seen the apex, as he said, but there seems to finally be a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a plan. Yeah. And I liked his reassurance of the FDA and how confident he was in their processes and in their procedures and the safety of the vaccine was really really hopeful. It was. The explanation of the different vaccines was also informative and and helpful as well. And I'm just wondering logistically how we're going to balance and and understand which vaccine people got. Like if there's going to be a comparison that's documented on that vaccine card that we've seen circulated on social media. Since he mentioned you don't have to come back for that second dose of the Johnson Johnson. Right. How does the public know which one they got? Yeah, I'm sure it's on that card. It's going to be interesting to know going forward. Do you have to get that same right. brand right. for your for a booster right. in a few years? Ah. This is all developing. Right. And it's going to be interesting and fascinating to watch. Well, it's unfold. interesting to watch history unfold right before our eyes. Yes. I mean, I think... You know, every day, you could argue every day is history, right? But I mean, this is something that's going to make the textbooks. That's right. This is going to be one of those marked moments in time that we collectively look back on and we remember and we've, we've watched these developments and our future generations, our grandchildren will, will say, what was that like? True. You know, Absolutely. It's, just, it's almost a wild thought. Yeah. As, as you mentioned with him and in the discussion, the changes that will take place, not only in the industry, yeah. but how um, we're responding to it. It's going to be, I think in a past episode with um, Gerard Coleman, we talked about the plexiglass barriers and the handshakes. Right. There'll be a lot that's changing and for the better. Yeah. But yeah, it's going to be, it's be fascinating. I think that breaking down this conversation with a guest like him really was helpful because the Lego analogy. Oh man. The yeah. way he explained yeah. um, the mutant strain and its stickiness. The green Lego, the yellow Lego. Yeah. I mean that, it, it, I'm a visual person anyway. Me too. So it helps me to have kind of an analogy to uh, to break down something that I'm not an expert yeah. in, you know. The way that you would substitute out a, a larger Lego yeah. for the skinny one with the four pegs, yeah. you know, right? right? Like that. that makes sense. That's how that new, area would stick to a cell and infect you. Yeah, it made a lot of sense. Uh And I think it's important too that we touched on the human element of this. We've been in this pandemic for so long at this point. We're weary. We're weary as a people. I mean, we even have blog articles on on our Baptist Health blog about the pandemic fatigue that people are feeling. That was months ago. I can't imagine now is that continued feeling that families are experiencing. Yeah. You're right. But but it's important to go back in our minds and come a little bit outside of the logistics that we're in right now of the who's getting a shot and where do I go and what is it and how are we going to get through this to back to remembering the sacrifices that we've collectively made, but especially healthcare workers, the loss of life that we've seen to, to honor the sacrifices that we've made as a, as a people. Yes. 
Absolutely. It's been an emotional toll that is uh, cost a lot and one that we overlook frequently. So 7 million, he said, has been uh, 7 million nationwide have been vaccinated. I think that it's going to be fascinating to watch that number uh, grow yeah. exponentially as this rollout continues. Yeah and it becomes easier and easier to, to become vaccinated, similar to that testing in the beginning, right? It was, right. It was almost- It was a commodity yes. in the beginning. I mean, it, it was so limited and now you can drive through and you yeah. know, get a test, a rapid test same right. day. So, Within 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to watch, like we said, history in the making. Mm -hmm. But thank you for joining us today for this episode of Health Talks Now, a podcast brought to you by Baptist Health. If you're not already subscribed to the show, you're going to want to go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. We've got a lot more COVID content coming as we progress through this vaccine rollout and the pandemic, along with, of course, our service lines that are continuing to operate in the background of this. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and we'll see you next time on Health Talks Now. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health, be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.